We call Alton one of the most haunted small towns in America, but it wasn't always considered a small town. During the first half of the 19th century, Alton was actually the largest town in the state of Illinois. The town was billed as the most desirable place to live on the east side of the Mississippi River, and St. Louis began to be referred to, much to the dismay of its political and business leaders, as the little town downriver from Alton. Because, of course, the Mississippi River was behind all that growth and new business. The expanding waterfront made Alton a center for river traffic and industry. New factories and mills were built, along with wholesale and resale companies. Homes sprang up in growing neighborhoods as people flocked to the community. Dozens of new stores opened in the business district, and new steamboats owned by local businessmen were being launched on a regular basis. By 1834, new building lots were selling for hundreds of dollars each, a considerable sum for the time. The new businesses in Alton led to more new arrivals. Lawyers, doctors, and ministers arrived and established practices, churches, fraternal lodges, societies, and private schools like Shirtliff College. The economy surged again after the railroads came to Alton and new mills were started along the river, as well as factories and operations that made everything from barrels to brooms to carriages, stoves, field plows, bottles, and gunpowder. Many of those new factories contributed to what Alton is best known for today, ghosts. There are three industries in the area linked to ghostly tales from Alton's past. We're going to explore two of them today. The other, the infamous Lady in Black, who haunted Powder Mill Road in the Olin Powder Works, appeared in our Dead of Winter episode from earlier this year in 2023. But don't worry, I think the two stories that we're going to be talking about will be enough to give you some cold chills. Welcome to a special On The Side podcast from American Hauntings, the podcast dedicated to bringing you the history, hauntings, legends, lore, and the dark side of our hometown, Alton, Illinois. Yes, we are back home again. This is episode five of an offshoot of the regular podcast, going back to our very beginning with updates and a lot of new stories from season one of the show, which delved, of course, into the mystery and history of Alton. But why return to season one? Well, for one thing, as I'm sure most of you can agree, sound was pretty terrible back then. And we also ended up leaving out a lot of things, and that was my fault. So last year, after doing a lot of additional research, I published a new edition of Haunted Alton. And we wanted to bring you some of that material here so that Cody and I could revisit some old stories, offer some updates, and bring you some brand new tales from one of the most haunted small towns in America, Alton, Illinois. The first grain mill, operated by steam power thanks to the river, opened in 1831 in Alton. There have been mills operating continuously in town ever since. They've been owned by small companies that have turned into large ones, like the Standard Tilton Milling Company that's now merged with Conagra, one of the largest food companies in the world. In 1858, the National Roller Mills were opened on the Alton Riverfront by Sebastian and Peter Wise, but they sold that company 10 years later to Captain David R. Sparks, who incorporated the business as the Sparks Milling Company in 1887. David Rhodes Sparks was born in New Albany, Indiana in October 1823. His family had moved west from Virginia and his parents were poor farmers. Three of the family's eight children never allowed their family circumstances to keep them from succeeding, though. One brother became a federal court judge appointed to the bench in the Washington Territory by Abraham Lincoln. The youngest served six years in Congress from Illinois and David became a member of the Illinois General Assembly in 1888 and was elected a state senator in 1896. Long before that, though, the Sparks family had moved to Staunton, Illinois in 1836. David grew up on a farm, receiving the little education available to him at the time. In 1847, he enlisted as a volunteer in the Mexican War 
and was sent to Albuquerque, which was then in Mexican territory. It was here that he spent the remainder of the war and then returned to Illinois the following year. After returning home, David married Anna Davenport Chapman, a young woman from Staunton. Together, they had six children and lived a full and happy life together. However, in 1850, David followed the example of many other young men of the era and traveled west with some friends to California. It was the time of the Great Gold Rush, and Sparks was one of the lucky few who met with success in the diggings. He stayed out west for a time and then returned home by traveling across Panama and sailing to Havana, New Orleans, and up the Mississippi River. And then he went west again in 1860 to mine for gold in Colorado. He set up the first steam quartz mill in Central City, but he soon got tired of the weather and the backbreaking work and returned once again to Illinois. Back in Staunton, he went into the milling business. His first independent effort was erecting a sawmill, but he soon sold that operation and started a flour mill in 1854. The mill had the capacity of about 25 barrels a day, which was then considered a really large output. He left the operation in the hands of a partner, though, when he departed for what would become one of the most important and dangerous periods of his life. Thanks to his service during the Mexican War, Sparks was granted the position of captain of Company L, 3rd Illinois Cavalry, when he answered President Lincoln's call for service at the start of the Civil War. He also took on the responsibility for furnishing the 100 horses needed for the company, as was common among wealthy officers at the time. David fought in dozens of battles and minor skirmishes during the war, including at Pea Ridge, Haynes Bluff, Port Gibson, Champion Hill, and the Siege of Vicksburg, along with other engagements. In fact, he was once even severely wounded in June 1862. According to a report from the Times, Sparks and 66 of his men were surrounded by an enemy cavalry unit of more than 300 men. Eight of David's men were killed during their escape, and many others were wounded. He was offered a promotion after his recovery, but he declined it because it meant he would no longer be with the same company and didn't want to abandon his men. When the war was over, he left the military with the same rank he'd entered it with as a captain. David was soon back in Illinois and resumed the milling business. In late 1864, he constructed a new mill in Litchfield and then four years later moved to Alton, where he purchased the National Mills. The Sparks Milling Company, as it became known in 1887, gained a reputation for being one of the most modern on the Mississippi River, producing more than 500 barrels of flour every day. David became a success in the public and professional sector, serving as a state senator and on the board of trustees for the Unitarian Church. He and Anna moved into a home at 410 Prospect Street in Alton, where they raised their children. The house had been enlarged to fit the growing family, adding a front section with high ceilings, two marble fireplaces, and several bedrooms. Interestingly, the lights seen on the front of the house today came from the battleship, the USS Maine, which was blown up in the harbor at Havana, Cuba, and started the Spanish-American War. That has nothing to do with our story. I just think it's cool. Anyway, David Sparks' success continued for many years. He was a well-liked, respected man, but was known among his employees for his insistence on hard work. He paid well, but he expected a full day's work in return. And that was a reputation that followed him to the grave. And some say, beyond. Located at the spot where William Street in Alton meets the Mississippi River is a stone building that the Sparks Milling Company constructed in the early 1900s. It was then located just across the road from the company's mill. Those long buildings and silos sprawled along the riverfront. They towered over Alton's downtown business district. And they still do, although they're different towers and the name on them is a different one today. Those modern silos belong to the Conagra Company, as does the stone building that was once the Sparks Mill office. Now, many have used that building over the years, including the Madison County Urban League, which leased it as office space for over a decade. It's a solid, sturdy-looking building constructed from wood timbers and local limestone. It's located only a few steps away from the monument built for the old Alton Penitentiary. 
And this has led many to mistakenly believe that it played some part in the history of the prison or the Civil War, but it didn't. However, like the site of the old penitentiary, it is haunted. There's a long history of strange occurrences in the building, from slamming doors to lights turning on and off by themselves, and even the appearance of ghostly figures. Many strange events have occurred in the basement, including an incident where a man alleged to have felt a ghost pass through him. Many who worked in the building refused to go downstairs, but it didn't matter. The rest of the place was haunted, too. Staff who worked in the building insisted they heard doors inexplicably opening and closing by themselves. The doors were often slowly creak open and then slam shut. In 1993, a staff member who then worked in the building saw a woman in a black dress suddenly materialize in front of her in a large conference room on the second floor. In the early 1980s, employees in the building claimed to see a stack of grain receipts float up off a desk and levitate across one of the vaulted rooms in the basement. This story was surprising thanks to what another man who worked in the building told me about his experience there. He claims to have started what became a common tradition about the place, that people do not work here after dark. According to his story, he was seated at his desk one evening, working late as he tried to finish his paperwork. Suddenly, a large stack of papers lifted into the air above his desk, hesitated for a moment, and then scattered all over the room. Startled, he packed up his things and quickly went home. Following day, he came to work and excitedly told his fellow employees what had happened to him, and after that, it was rare when an employee stuck around after dark. But who are the resident ghosts? For years, many believed they were the spirits of prisoners once incarcerated at the Alton Prison. Could the lady in the black dress, for instance, have been one of the unfortunate women imprisoned nearby during the Civil War? Maybe. But the presence of phantom soldiers seemed odd considering that the prison was located elsewhere on the property and the office building was not even constructed for nearly four decades after the war ended. So how do we explain the captain, the most active ghost in the building? According to those I talked with about the building, the captain, as they had nicknamed him, was a Confederate officer who had been incarcerated at the prison and had died during the smallpox epidemic. His spirit apparently lingered on the grounds and then took up residence in the mill office after it was built. This would explain, they assured me, the sightings and strange occurrences that dated back almost to the time the place was built. Well, I wondered how the legend of a Confederate captain had started, but no one seemed to know. It was simply told for many years, and over time, the identity of the man had been forgotten. As I started researching the property, though, I discovered that much of what I'd originally been told about the place wasn't accurate, including its connections to the old prison. Now, it's an easy mistake to make. The old prison was right next door, and it was easy to assume that any ghostly experience could be connected to it and its gruesome history. The story was then told and retold countless times over the years, and the very real captain who haunted the building became that fictional confederate. Okay, but who was the captain? Well, you probably already figured this out, but my search of the history and witnesses I spoke to who had worked in the building made it clear that the most active resident ghost was Captain David Sparks himself. David's years of military service had earned him the rank of captain, and he was commonly referred to by this title by friends, business associates, and employees. It's also possible that after his death in 1907, Sparks decided to remain behind to watch over his company, and eventually his ghost became connected to the old mill office, a place that he has apparently never left. Another account I was given in 1999 seemed to confirm this theory for me. I spoke with a man whose father had worked for the Sparks Milling Company in the early 1930s. His father had told him that David Sparks had taken pride in his reputation for being a hard worker and expected the same for those who worked for him. The story said he would often walk into offices unannounced and without warning to ensure the employees were hard at work and not reading the newspaper or drinking coffee. He also made unscheduled visits to the floor of the mill as well, always for the same reason. This former employee told his son that after Sparks' death, doors in the office building would often slam open as though someone had walked through them. However, there'd never be anyone there. Employees began to talk of these strange occurrences as the work of David Sparks' ghost, still checking up on them from beyond the grave. 
It also turns out the mill company's old office isn't the only place where David Sparks' ghost made his restless presence known. He apparently appeared at his home on Prospect Street after his death, too. At least for one night. In 1907, after the death of his father, Hosea Sparks and his wife moved into the family home. In May of 1908, a strange happening occurred that even gained the attention of the local newspaper. It happened on a Monday night after the Sparks family had gone to bed. At some point in the early morning hours, the house had been ransacked by what the police described as looking like a miniature tornado. The worst damage was done to the front parlor. All the furniture in the room had been turned upside down and moved out of place. Books had been removed from the bookcases and strewn about the room. Newspapers had been pulled apart and scattered. In other rooms, dishes had been moved, clothing had been scattered around, and as one reporter put it, quote, an effort was made to make the place as untidy as possible. No one had a solution to the mystery. There was no sign of a break-in, no suggestion that it had been a prank, and Jose and his wife had no children and no guests at the time. The doors to the house had all been locked. The newspaper suggested that the damage was caused by a poltergeist, which was perhaps as good an explanation as any. Especially after a closer look at the day the incident occurred, it happens to be the one-year anniversary of the death of David Sparks. By the middle of the 19th century, Alton was known up and down the Mississippi River as an industrial town. One of the largest factories belonged to the Hapgood Plow Company, but many others produced a wide assortment of items, like the Alton Amusement Device Company, which produced metal games, the Piazaw Bedstead Manufactory, which made beds and cotton products, and the Alton Box Manufacturing Company, which John Hayner established in 1872. The company made boxes for crackers, hardware, and even cigars. It became one of the largest such factories in the West. Some other products manufactured in Alton included molasses, hats, organs, paint, paper, pickles, glass, ironware, stoneware, tractors, wagons, washing machines, and literally hundreds of other things. Well, a year after founding the Alton Box Manufacturing Company, John Hayner helped start one of Alton's most important businesses when he purchased a bankrupt glassmaking company. It had been small and unsuccessful, but Hayner knew it had promise in the right hands. He soon found Edward Levi's and William Elliott Smith, who bought the company for a song and turned it into the Illinois Glass Works. Edward shared John Hayner's idea about the glassmaking business, so he mortgaged his home to come up with his share of the purchase price. And he and his seven sons were the factory's initial workforce. There was only one small problem that Edward and William now had. Neither man knew anything about making glass. They decided, though, that wouldn't stop them. They ignored all the local predictions of failure and reopened the glassworks building on Bell Street, near 10th. They put all their money into restarting the business and used independent ideas and innovations to turn bankruptcy into profit. And soon, business was booming. In fact, business was so good that their success became a problem. They were running out of the raw materials required for blowing glass and needed a more efficient way to get them. They also wanted a better, faster way to send their finished goods to market. So in 1895, Edward and William, along with some other local investors, started the Illinois Terminal Railroad. It was completed in 1900 and became a vital transportation link for Illinois Glass and other companies. If Edward Levi's was the company's backbone, then William Smith was its idea man. He traveled extensively to market the products made in Alton and while in New Orleans in 1874, recognized the need for an inexpensive ashtray. He returned home with an idea and a lot of pre-orders. A mold was designed, and after some experimentation, the very first ashtray was developed in Alton. By 1896, Illinois Glass was Alton's largest employer. Just 20 years earlier, the plant had employed only about 60 people, but by then there were 2,200 on staff. 
The company installed the first automatic glass blowing machine in 1910 and continued to make more innovations as the years went on. The height of production at the Alton plant was in 1973 when 2,400 workers operated the 10 furnaces and the 31 bottle-forming machines. The company remained a dominant, successful business for a few more years before finally falling victim to another innovation, the plastic bottle. It proved to be the death knell for the company. Rumors had started to circulate that the plant's days were numbered after a series of layoffs in the early 1980s, and they were soon proven true. The Alton Company closed in 1983 after 110 years in business, leaving the remaining 312 employees without jobs. In the late 1990s, there was talk about turning the former factory buildings and land into an industrial park to help salvage some of the town's economic potential. The empty and abandoned buildings were destroyed in 2001. The glory days of the Illinois Glassworks became a distant memory for those who could still recall when milk always came in glass bottles. But of course, that's not quite the end of the story. Even as far back as the early 1900s, stories spread that the Illinois Glassworks factory was haunted. News reports told of a phantom often seen on the grounds, quote, flitting about and frightening the workers. It was noted in the always racist undertones of the time, that African-American employees seemed particularly susceptible to the haunting, making them afraid to leave the factory shift at night to walk home. Well, such stories continue to make the rounds for years, even as recently as the 1930s. There were no theories about who the ghost might be, but based on only a sampling of the factory's brutal history, a lot of possible candidates come to light. In November 1905, a former teamster at the Glassworks factory named Henry Overath was found dead in the stables by a foreman. Henry had been dismissed from his position a week earlier when the bosses learned he was suffering from heart problems. His ailment had become so bad he was only able to sleep at night while in a sitting position. Well, after losing his job, Henry began drinking heavily and the coroner deduced that he had wandered back onto the factory grounds while drunk. Several workers spotted him late at night but paid little attention to him. However, two workers told foreman William Winsell the following day that Henry was asleep in the stables. When Winsell investigated, he found the man was dead. He'd removed his coat, vest, shoes, and hat and turned them into a pillow to soften the cold, hard concrete floor. At some point in the night, he'd just stopped breathing. The police found no sign of injury or assault and wrote his death off to drinking or heart problems. Henry Overeth left behind a wife, six children, and the ruins of a disappointing life. In November 1912, Jacob Vatterot died at his home on East 5th Street. He didn't die at the Illinois Glassworks, but he certainly died because of them. Jacob, who was 55, worked as a blower at the factory, and while used to the extremely hot conditions under which he worked, he occasionally burned his hands on the equipment. A week earlier, he'd sustained some dangerous third-degree burns that went untreated by the company but he didn't let this slow him down. Over the coming weekend, he was working out in his yard on 5th Street, gathering and destroying weeds that had been killed by a recent frost. And the open wounds on his hands became infected, causing blood poisoning and keeping him away from work on Monday. Within 48 hours, he was dead. In June 1914, Joe Ferrara, described as a foreigner by the newspaper, but he was Italian, became the victim of hot weather and the heated conditions of the glassworks. He dropped dead at the glassworks just as his day's shift had ended. Joe was only 22 and was a member of a section gang that did some of the heaviest work at the factory. He worked all day in the high temperatures and just after being told to gather his tools for the end of shift, he collapsed. But he actually laughed, took some ribbing from his friends, and quickly got to his feet and started packing his tools again. But once more, Joe fell to the ground. Several other men rushed over and raised him to his feet, but now he couldn't talk. His face had turned white, his skin cold and clammy, and his eyes rolled back in his head. Joe was carried to some shade and given water, but within 30 minutes, he was dead. Joe had only been at Alton for six months, and it was said he left behind a father, mother, one sister, and a brother in Italy. He'd come to the country chasing the American dream. But in this case, that dream killed him. 
In May 1922, a more gruesome death occurred at the glassworks. Marion Queen, who went by the nickname of Bert, was the foreman in charge of loading coal into the hoppers that in turn transported it to the furnace to create the tremendous heat needed to produce glass. On May 31st, a hopper was being filled from a pit where a system of buckets took the coal to the top of the hopper and dumped it in. The hoppers then fed the coal down to the moving grate bars of an automatic stoker that fed the furnace. At some point that morning, the system became jammed. The coal commonly overflowed the hopper and the buckets came to a halt. Bert assumed it had happened again and went up to the top to attempt to work the jam loose so that the coal would start feeding again. Well, no one knows what happened next, but Bert somehow fell into the hopper. He crashed through a safety bar and fell into a mass of coal. As he sank, he called for help, and several men rushed to the top of the steps to try and save him from being pulled down into the finely powdered coal, but they were too late. The men got to the top of the hopper just in time to see one of his hands, the last visible sign of him, sinking into the coal toward the funnel at the bottom. As Bert's body sank, the machine clattered to a stop, preventing any more coal from coming out of the bottom of it. Well, the men scrambled, hoping Bert was still alive and could be pulled free. They reached through the coal, hoping to find him, but he'd sunk too deep. One of the workers tried to open the chute at the bottom of the hopper, but it was welded shut. Finally, using a large hammer, they broke the seal and pulled away the pipe to reveal Bert's legs. The men pulled on them, but it was no use. He was stuck too tightly. And by now, the men surely realized he was no longer moving. It took them two hours to remove all the coal from the hopper and pull Bert's corpse from the bottom of it. There was no indication for how long he had survived under the coal, but it couldn't have been long. His last moments had to have been terrifying. Bert left behind a wife and two young sons and possibly a lingering spirit that relived his agony at the bottom of that hopper for decades to come, but Bert may not be the only lingering ghost. Just two weeks after Bert's death in June 1922, Thomas Sanders, an African-American man who lived on Missouri Avenue, drowned while swimming in a pond on the factory grounds. It was a drainage pool where water used to cool the machinery was dumped. From there, it drained into the river. There were eight or nine other men also swimming that day, according to the newspaper, but none of them could save Thomas. The police were notified of the drowning, and when the coroner arrived, the authorities began dragging the pond to search for his corpse. This continued until late in the evening and into the following day, but his body was never found. And the list of the dead at the glassworks went on. Regrettably, safety conditions in those days were much different from today, and there were few unions to protect the workers on duty, and little was done for the women and children who were widowed and orphaned by the deaths of the workers. It seems that any of the men who perished at the glassworks could have left some unfinished business behind, hence the ghost that was talked about for so long. It was frequently seen drifting across the factory grounds. No one was able to see its face clearly, only its mournful shape as it shambled and wavered along, perhaps recreating the last steps that it made on its final day among the living. Eventually, though, the story of the specter faded away, just as the livelihoods of the Glassworks employees did in the 1980s. Like the Illinois Glassworks, the company's once notorious ghost became a thing of the past. Have you ever wanted to learn a new language? And I don't mean like spells or incantations to trap spirits, you weirdos. I mean like a new language that could help you start communicating with more people on this plane today. Then I need to tell you about Rosetta Stone. Look, you know the brand, you know the name. They have the expertise and a 30-year legacy, which makes them more qualified than ever to help you learn a new language today. They've helped millions of people build the fluency and confidence to speak new languages. Now, this is the part where Troy would tell me that I made some kind of grammatical error, but he's not here right now, so like, I don't know, it's like speaking tongues. Rosetta Stone focuses on speaking practice for real-life scenarios to get you ready for real conversations with real people. Or maybe you can even learn how to use some different types of Ouija boards. I don't know. Either way, Rosetta Stone can help you learn faster and retain your new language 
better. Honestly, Rosetta Stone really would have come in handy for season four of New Orleans because I know we butchered some of those French names and I apologize once again. Now you all know I have a nine to five job when I'm not at the podcast factory and Rosetta Stone actually helped me not make a total fool out of myself while I was in Brazil interviewing celebrities. Obrigado. And now I want to help you. So don't put off learning that new language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, American Hauntings podcast listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, today. Rosetta Stone, how language is learned. Wait, by the way, Troy, like where do words come from? Hey, no, don't, 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 don't walk away. Oh, Troy, where do words? Thanks for returning with us to Alton, Illinois, for a special series of podcasts from American Hauntings. We're taking a trip back in time, sort of, to the first season of the show, which collected some of the most famous stories from one of the most haunted small towns in America. But it turns out we left out a lot of really good ones. So we're going back in Alton for more. So we're back in Alton for more. We've got old (laughs) stories with updates and new stories that Troy managed to dig up for the new edition of his book, Haunted Alton. So buckle up. And by the way, I'm your co-host, Cody Beck, and with me is my co-host, author, historian, crime buff, and the founder of American Hauntings, Troy Taylor. Hey. Hey, hey. hey. I probably won't even edit that out. I'll just keep it in. And just show yeah, like, yeah, whatever. It's yeah, like, whatever. It's it not is always, what it is, right? Yeah. So. It's like, you guys, try, you guys try it, all right? You try it. Yeah, you, yeah, no kidding, right? Something through. You try having a conversation over Zoom and not talking over each other sometimes. <laughs> um, oh, man. Okay. We're back in Alton. Um, we were just there. These are... These are, this has been really nice for me because this story, especially this, these are things that I know we, we talked about a little bit as far as mm-hmm. the, the house that we're going to talk about or the, the kind of office building. The building, but, yeah. yeah. Um, but a lot of things I didn't know. And just to know about, you know, I've always. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah I, d- I decided to dig a little deeper, you yeah. know, than I had before, because, you know, originally in 1999, a lot of this stuff was word of mouth. And that's what I went by and found what I could but there wasn't the material out there. And again, we, we to reiterate this for the hundredth time, um, th- I have access to a lot more stuff than I used to have. So it does fill in a lot of the holes and a lot of the gaps. Yeah. Know? Well, it's so. great. It's great too, because not just the um, his- history about that stuff, but just um, learning more about my hometown as far as I knew it was, you know, big in industry and manufacturing mm-hmm. and things, but yeah. there was so much I didn't just didn't know yeah yeah and even even this and i mean even just writing about it or even you know putting it in a podcast you you don't you don't see how industrial alton was Mm -hmm. you know because of the river it was such a major way uh for travel and for transportation of goods and things it was so important and towns like alton which had these perfect river landings i mean we still do we just don't use them the way that we used to obviously Mm -hmm. but you know with these perfect river landings that we had it it was just so essential to you know commerce and everything that was happening on the mississippi and that's what turned alton into such an important town and how it became you know not just a small town anymore you know and and i've had people try to tell me that oh well alton's not a small town you've got all those other communities like Godfrey and things. If you mix all those in, the population is pretty high. Okay, but that's not Alton. Yeah. And Godfrey is not Alton. That's like saying to me, that's like saying, oh, uh, hey, where are you from? Oh, I'm from Chicago. Oh, really? Yeah, man, I used to live in the West Loop. Where do you live? Arlington Heights. Okay, that's not Chicago. (laughs) Godfrey is not Alton. Wood River is not Alton. East Alton is not Alton. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not the same. It, they, none of these towns have the mystique that Alton does. It doesn't yeah. have the history Alton does. Yeah. You know, so it, it it's it is a small town. Alton is. Mm-hmm. And I don't even think of, you know, the time you get out to like, you know, Milton Road and stuff, it, it's it's almost like you're out of Alton. Yeah. It's even like, you know, Upper Alton doesn't yeah, it's, it's, like Alton it's yeah. You know, Alton is like you and I were talking about in our last episode. Alton has a 
goddamn Corey in the middle of town. (laughs) That's Alton. I mean, that's that's Alton in a nutshell. You know, the the town starts down along the river. And then when people start getting sick and getting cholera and stuff, they move up onto the bluffs because they think the air is better. Mm -hmm. No, it's just a better spot and you won't flood. But, you know, that's Alton, you know. And so I don't know, man. I, you know, we, 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 we lump Godfrey in, you know, like, you know, we talked about Harriet Haskell, or we, mm-hmm. we try to tell people that the conference is in Alton, and technically we're having it in Godfrey, but everything we have is all downtown Alton after after the sessions are done, right? So, you know, we we lump it together. So I I understand what people are saying, but that's not really Alton. Mm-hmm. You know, I agree. I'm I'm yeah, I'm really happy. Sense. So yeah, I've had a couple of people, you know, comment to me and I said, no, I, I understand what you're saying. And, and I agree with you. I mean, it is a bigger area now and it all just does run into each other, but you, we're, we're looking at the history. We're looking at the stories that, that the way they got started, they got started because it's Alton. It's the most uniquely Alton things. I mean, right. people who don't live in Alton or haven't lived in Alton don't understand when you talk about something crazy and then you go and that is the most uniquely alton thing i've said all day <laughs> you know and it's just like this you know but people who know alton they get it you know yeah. so we hope that we're passing that on a little bit to people who you know have never been to alton that maybe they'll want to come because this stuff is so crazy you yeah know? We, we hope you will because alton is a very unusual town yeah, you know, if it, if anybody actually if anybody actually comes to Alton because of this, or if anybody even listens to all the Alton episodes that's never been here, like let me know. I'd be yeah, curious if yeah, if, yeah. Like, if it's if we make it sound intriguing enough or not, or if but, we uh, just make you want to stay away. I know, right? Well, uh, I, that's know. what I was going to say. And there's that. Yeah, I was, I was saying I'm also like some of the things you were saying, like Wood River's not Alton, East Alton's not Alton. I'm like, yeah, I'm glad it's not fucking Alton. <laughs> yeah, can, yeah, me too. Those can be there. <laughs> they those can stay away. Uh, but. Uh, <laughs> Moving on, Captain David R. Sparks, who I would like to call Captain Dave. I'm sure he didn't go Captain by that. Dave. But... <laughs> I'm going to say he never went by that. I, I know um, that he, could, uh, he couldn't have. Yeah, he, he seems like he had a major stick somewhere. So. Yes, yes. Uh-huh. Uh, well, this some of these stories you were talking about, it maybe just think about what it would have been like to be back in Alton in, in those mm-hmm. times. Or oh, sure. I think we mentioned even before, like uh, fancy dinner parties, like with the Haskells and Hainers and things. Mm-hmm. Like, imagine yeah. I could just a three piece suit carrying around a decanter or brandy, just yeah, loving life. I Having would, cigars after dinner yeah, while it, the women, you know, went into the ladies parlor to talk amongst themselves yeah i'd be stealing people's monocles and stuff it would have been great uh, um but uh three <laughs> industry three industries in the area linked uh, to ghostly tales from the alton past and this made me think of something you know we talked about traumatic history being a you know probable cause for for ghostly activity and things like that and i was wondering are ghosts gonna like change over time since like most of us now we're, i'm gonna die of heart disease probably right, no, right, not like right, right. you know probably, I'm probably doing, won't be murdered yeah, you know i'm doing um, tech jobs well i don't know there's a chance but, there's no fingers yeah. crossed but um but I, i'm always doing you know i do a lot of us have tech jobs things like that we're yeah. not doing dangerous things Is well gonna change okay, anything okay, well yeah but look at this at, at the very first story here um you know david sparks all of his all of his violence and trauma and things happened somewhere else that's true and not where his ghost ended up that's fair you know his ghost ended up at a place that he loved you know that he was absolutely devoted to and i think that's just as common really i mean it's not as sexy as you know uh you know right you know being Gangster. beheaded and yeah. your ghost returns to look for your missing head or whatever but um you know the, it's not always violence it just or, or really grim or really dark you know it's That's i mean you point. understand where hundreds of people die where the penitentiary was that hey there might be a ghost or two there that that kind of makes sense but you know why just some random house where nothing bad really ever happened other than yeah people passed away and and, you, and it's so funny because people will talk about an old house and they'll go yeah and 10 people died here okay that's every old house yeah, um, right. because everybody died at home um, it doesn't make it haunted. And, you know, so you get a lot of that. And, you know, the fact that, you know, that's probably more common than people dying violently. Mm-hmm. We just don't, it's just not as exciting. Yeah. So, yeah. You so know, we don't talk so about it. So much. Those ghost stories just seem a little tame in comparison. You that's know? no, that's, those are good points. <laughs> Uh, so 1858 National Roller Mills is opened in Alton by Sebastian and Peter. Was it Weiss or Wise? Uh, Wise. Wise, okay. They sold to Captain David R. Sparks, who seems like kind of a badass guy. Yeah, yeah I think so. Yeah. 
I mean, and, you know, he just got tired of messing with the kids, so he just took off of California. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, that's the way I looked oh, at it. I want to go but, you know, just, for gold. Yeah, yeah, just uh, knocks up his wife a bunch of times and just takes off for California, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, I don't know. Yeah, maybe but, badass isn't the right word, but, you know, yeah. fighting all the wars and all and but, stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah sure, and... the Mexican War, the Civil War. I mean, he, you know, I mean, he wouldn't be promoted because... I mean, he said he because he didn't want to abandon his men, but really, I think he didn't want to get promoted because he'd miss out on the action. Sure. Uh, honestly, I mean, there's yeah. a, this is there's I, I'm joking about the take off to get re- get away from the kids, although mm-hmm. that's a legit reason. But, um, <laughs> you know, but I mean, he went out there thinking, hey, you know what, this is going to be an adventure. And off he went kind of like Benjamin Godfrey. You know, yeah. you think this guy starts a women's school, he's probably, you know, kind of wow, he must be really boring. No, this is a guy who's out, you know, ships captain, wrecks his ships, you know, gets all the gold and fights pirates and, you know, I mean, yeah. all this stuff. And so, you know, essentially this is the same thing. You go into California. I mean, this is the same time as the Donner Party. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he he's traveling out there to look for it's, gold, it's but risky. he still had to get there. Yeah. You know, and he, and he went across land to get there. When he came home, he made enough money. He could book passage on a ship that would take him down to Panama. And listen, that wasn't an easy trip either. Mm-hmm. Um, people don't talk. You, you think, oh, Panama, you look at it on a map. It looks like this tiny little thing. Oh, it's up. You know, we'll just walk right on across here or maybe I'll take an Uber, you know, no, (laughs) you had to go through jungle to get across there. It was not an easy thing to do. And people got robbed all the time because, well, everybody knew you were coming back from California with gold. So you're taking your life in your hands. So you're right. I mean, this was pretty adventurous going out there in a wagon train, coming back that way, and then turning around and doing it again, going to Colorado pretty much uncivilized almost in, you know, 1860, right before the war. And he just got tired of the, you know, got tired of the, of the, of the weather he said <sighs> in Colorado. So he came home and then, you know, started, you know, went into the milling business. And one of the things I didn't mention in this is um, I, you probably remember as a kid, when you would come back to Altman, you would look up and you'd see the building that had the, the lighted up windmill on it. Do you remember that? It was Miller's Insurance Company. I don't think it's so. It's something else. It's not, it's something else now the building is, but it had a, a lighted up windmill on it. And mm-hmm. it was, it was the very first insurance company that would insure flour mills. And David Sparks was one of the guys who started this mm-hmm. because no one would insure them. And I know we've talked about this before, so I, I'll, I won't go into too much you know, detail, but no one would insurance would provide insurance for a flour mill because they were so dangerous. And you think why, you know, yeah. it's not like you're doing coal mining in there, but all the dust from mm-hmm. the milling uh, is flammable uh-huh. and enough of it in the air can like spark and blow up your entire mill. And it was happening all the time. It was Damn. super dangerous. You wouldn't think it would be working at a flour mill. I wouldn't think so. No. Wow. Because of this dust. So nobody would insure them. So they just, a bunch of millers got together and started their own insurance company. And so that, and, and it went on to be a big, huge business. And it mm-hmm. was started, you know, right in Alton. And so that was just kind of one of those things he did. And I couldn't find a good place to work that in, but I figured we'd talk about it anyway. Yeah. But. No, yeah, that, but, but the Civil War, you know, he did a lot of stuff, you know, was involved in a lot of minor things, but the Siege of Vicksburg was a pretty big deal. You know, I mean, that's what broke the hold of the Confederacy on the Mississippi River. We had an open run all the way from up north down through to New Orleans because the Union Army controlled New Orleans and then they controlled Vicksburg. And those are deep south mm-hmm. and were important cities on the river. And he was a part of that. You know, and but and then wouldn't take a promotion, even though he'd, you know, bravely taken, you know, they were surrounded by 300, 300 men and yeah, yeah all kinds of stuff. So, you know, it was pretty cool. I mean, this guy did a lot of cool stuff. So it's not surprising that when he came home, everybody just referred to him as Captain Sparks. Yeah, because of course. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. I mean, I, I want to be Captain Taylor and I've never been in the military. <laughs> I just want to say that I had a, a ship somewhere. You know, yeah. and be one of those guys who wears like when I get old, uh-huh. when I get old, I'm going to be one of those guys and no one will remember. And I'll just wear like a skipper's hat from Gilligan's <laughs> Island all the time. And uh, I'll just get people to call me Captain Taylor and it'll be fun. So, or Captain Troy, you know, yeah. like Captain Ron, it'll be. Like yeah. That. 
Yeah. Okay, Troy. Eye patch. Ca- like casually talking about is that stolen valor? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, not not if you don't say you were in the military. Oh, so, okay. All right. Yeah. Perfect. Uh so he and his wife Anna back back to my outline. He and his wife Anna <laughs> moved to no, you're good. Moved to 410 Prospect Street. You talked about the lights in front of the house today. Yeah, Are the other I ones know. hanging on the chain. Nothing to do with the story. Yeah, but, it's it's nothing to do with the story. Well, but they're really cool. But are they, they're the they ones are hanging cool. on the chains. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they're very cool. So Google Street View is very creepy. I'll tell you that. But I saw the lights today. <laughs> uh, you can't um, see the lights though, and they look really uh, cool. Yeah, yeah, we, uh, yeah. I like to show that to people and tell them, and then it's like they're like, "Why are you telling me this?" It's no, not, I thought this is not a ghost cool. story. I'm like, "Well, it's just it's cool." But then no, you have to explain look at. Then you have to explain what the Spanish-American War is, and that's always awkward. So oh, yeah. No one remembers that one. So, And I would just go, you know, Teddy Roosevelt, Rough Riders, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, you know, you sure. got to know that. They still don't know, but yeah. whatever. Anyway, uh, one yeah. of the big slogans of the time, remember the Maine, you know, like remember the Alamo, mm-hmm. same thing. Newspapers, cook, well, okay, we're not getting into Okay, all, all right. So, yeah. <laughs> Rough Riders, yeah. Look up it. the Spanish-American War sometime. I, I do always find it interesting. So let's just leave it alone. Go ahead. Perfect. Uh, a building that was used by the Sparks Milling Company at the base of William Street. Um, so this is, would this be? It's up now. Oh, oh, is it really? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. It's been empty for a while. I'm sure I've been driving by, but but this would yeah. essentially be kind of across from the Elijah P. Lovejoy, the warehouse yes. area. Yes, right, where the right warehouse there. was. It's uh, right. It is probably. I remember the building, fifteen yeah. or twenty yards from the wall, the the monument wall they put up for the mm-hmm. tourists for the okay. penitentiary. Yep, I know it's exactly the building it is. right next to it, and it is not in any way connected to the penitentiary, as I made clear. Right, uh, but it is made out of limestone. Hence the uh-huh. same look, you know. Right. Again, yeah. as we discussed last time. Yes. If anybody's yeah. ever, if you if you're listening to this somehow and you worked in that building and you got creepy stories, yeah, like, let yeah, us know. We, us we have, I, I've talked to a lot of people over the years, but it's been empty for a while now. Um, and it, which is, it's too bad. It's a neat building. I, I don't know what it looks like inside. Uh, oh, okay. Not anymore. I haven't been in there in twenty years, probably. Got so it. it's been a long time since I've even been in the building. Well, one of the there's a couple of different stories you talk about, and like you know, typical slamming doors, lights turning off and on, ghostly figures. So the man felt the ghost pass through him. I would feel violated in some way. I think you know if this <laughs> well, happened, he probably to me. did. So you know, <laughs> um, a woman in black suddenly appears in a large conference room, and I just thought, as if meetings aren't scary enough. Oh yeah, right. Am no I right? Yeah. Um, Papers. I could have seen this ghost in an email. Yeah, oh, that's a meeting. Sorry, that, never mind. Troy, no. that was really good. I, I <laughs> that was a that. Cody joke there. Exactly. So. That's why I would have loved <laughs> that's it. That's why you liked it. <laughs> um, I like the stories about the papers and things floating because we, we don't get to talk too much about like poltergeist kind of stuff. Uh, we don't too, get to too talk often. too much about paper. Uh, really <laughs> not bills and things anymore well, that, so well, no one has those it'd be it's your, all online it'd, it'd so. be your, your laptop yeah. floating up or something yeah, right right exactly around. yeah um so but you had you had you found some explanations for some of these things because he was a really hard worker went off and like burst through doors and uh was proud he was proud of his rank of captain you know right. and um, right. i think a lot of these things could lead to him being a, a likely suspect I mean, but, but this is a perfect example of one of those stories that got um twisted up by word of mouth mm-hmm. you know i mean every you know people and remembered parts of a story yeah oh yeah it's a ghost and you know whoever it was that used to be in this building they said it was captain somebody yeah you know what i mean so and you, you had a guy together. who lit a legit you know a legit title and and people actually did refer to him that way and over time though it was like it's like that game of telephone mm-hmm. story gets garbled messed up and next thing you know you're next door to the penitentiary site and well it's a captain it must be a confederate officer mm-hmm. you know and that's how the stories get all twisted up and then you know once you start to untangle them you know it it, it, it suddenly you go oh well that makes more sense now now i get it you yes. know yep. so yeah, yeah, we've got a lot of those. Um, well, in general, but we've talked about some others around Alton and things. And yeah, yeah. to sometimes take somebody to put all the pieces together. Um, and uh, so the, he he also might have haunted uh, the house on Prospect, or at least for a night. Yeah, I uh, like that story. Yeah, I like really a, do like that story. The house and being just ransacked, and I, yeah. I just I think I just be yeah. pissed. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't I don't know, but there, there's probably more to the story than we know. Right. There's right, probably right. some kind of inner family thing there that they didn't mention in the newspaper. 
But, you know, I mean, uh, his son and his wife move into the house and they're asleep and the house gets ransacked and no one comes in. The doors were all locked yeah. and, you know, there are no kids in the house, nothing. And it's the anniversary of his father's death after one year, one year later. Yeah. And it's like, OK, that's too big of a coincidence. I mean, yeah. you know, uh, but why? Why? You know, for for all we know, there was some kind of problem, you know, between them or something when he died. I don't know. It's hard. It's impossible to say. Uh, but yeah, that's just too big of a, you know, uh, you just can't pass that up. Right, right, right. <laughs> but yeah, even, no but I didn't use the word poltergeist. The newspaper did the Alton Telegraph. Oh yeah. Yes. You mentioned yeah, that. They literally say that it must've been a poltergeist. Um, so I'm like, I'm all for it. Yeah. Hell yeah. So, which is again, one of those things that we're always telling people, Oh, when did you cook up this thing about Alton being this haunted small town you know oh, did that start 20 years ago when you started doing tours mm -hmm. no it actually started back around the 1850s when they that's how far back the ghost stories go around here so yeah it's um that stuff's been with us in alton all along you know yeah, yeah. Well, i think that's probably time-honored tradition one of the here. things that probably draws me back to the town all the time mm -hmm. and just absolutely something amazing about it uh moving on okay the alton amusement device company uh, okay, so if somebody opens up a new bar or like an adult store, I know. Take this. Is name. that not the best? Yes. Right? So like, I know that's just that's so cool. Um, John Hayner. Although I a, got a funny story. Oh, Speaking of oh, bars yep, with yep. names in Alton, Please. I had a, uh, some some folks that were down visiting from Chicago and took the tour on Friday night, mm -hmm. and uh, they they got to the restaurant kind of early, and they said, "Oh, we're just going to go walk around a little bit." And I said, "Okay." So off they went and down the street. So they come back a little bit later, and they said, "Hey, we went down to the Ten Pen." And I'm like, oh, yeah. And uh, he said, yeah, I, I wanted to see the bowling alley. Uh -huh. I mean, it's a 10 pin. And I'm, he goes, but we got in there and we asked. And the guy said, yeah, we haven't had one in about 60 years. Yeah. So they just kept the name. And, you know, and it's like, that's funny. You know, it it's funny. funny. And so it makes me want to stop in there and get people to keep stopping in to ask oh, them where the 10 pen is just fun. so they just to see what they'd say because after a while they're gonna catch on that yeah somebody's doing this that would be but really funny it was pretty fun but they said the guy was super nice about it and everything yeah. and he was really cool and you know he just kind of visited with him and told him about you know it hasn't been here in a long time it was taken out but yeah uh but it is funny because they did used to have one they mm -hmm. did have a little bowling alley there i mean that's you know what those things were and it's funny it's not there anymore. But anyway, so if you're listening to this and you're from the Alton area, there is a bar on Broadway called the Ten Pen. Go in. Don't tell them we sent you. Just go in and ask them if you can see the Ten Pin Bowling Alley. Mm -hmm. Just see what they'll say. And and buy, buy a drink or something too. But, but like, yeah, but obviously, yeah. don't just go in. Yeah. I mean, we I know. go in, ask I, for some, you know. Because that's the so. thing. It'll be a really yeah, funny yeah, drink, I don't but he, that. he won't be mad if, if we're sending him people and they like, well, right, drink exactly. They yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. Please, please tip your bartenders. So, <laughs> yes, you know. tip your bartenders. But no, I love that. And um, I'm going to start telling people to do that too. <laughs> um, John Hayner, uh, box company. And I bet, if there's any of those boxes around, I'm sure there probably aren't all. Well, they were they worth they a were, lot. Probably uh, they were cardboard. Oh, I thought you said you yeah, no, cigar, a, even the well, cigar boxes and things. Yeah, they were. The, but that's car. They were cardboard too. Uh, I mean, they okay. were just sort of a. I mean, not cardboard like we know of today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they were like press board. I, I have okay. You know I have I'm, seen yeah. some of those now. Yeah, it's that it. kind of stuff. But they made all kinds of boxes, and some of them were wooden. But mm -hmm. they also made a lot of them with you know like triple stack paper and things like mm -hmm. that but there's a reason that dude there's a library named after yeah, yeah, yeah. The mansion you know um uh but right. again though they are also connected to the haskells as mm -hmm. we talked about a couple episodes back when we were yeah. talking about harriet so you know all these people all connected in this because you know why because it's a small town that's a small why. town and i yeah and i didn't know that but i should have thought like things that are named after people in this town yeah they probably yeah. all ran together at some point uh -huh. or yeah, some, some way right at least uh, but he, so he buys a bankrupt glass factory and it becomes so prosperous that they decide to start their own railroad which seems ridiculous yeah, and well, genius they, they, but well yeah because they but everybody decided they needed these bottles and you know needed glass bottles because I mean, yes, glass making had been around for a while, but not that terribly long as far mm. as using it as as common as it became. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Especially for making bottles and things. Making sheets of glass had been around a lot longer, but doing it this way and making it into bottles, people really wanted this stuff and they could not get enough. They just couldn't get enough 
material to make the 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 things to make use to make the glass. Yeah. So yeah, he started his own railroad, which is pretty cool, really. Yeah, that's so, a you know, badass thing to do. And invented invented the ashtray. Yeah, and that's why which every- is not I know, but that's such a seedy thing to be no, famous that's, for. That's why everyone in Alton smokes constantly because <laughs> oh, yeah. that have, must be because it, we have right? to. I know, uh-huh. but then they get taken down <laughs> like so many great companies do by big plastic. Yeah, big plastic. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and so there's there's uh, a, a, there's a ghost here at the glass factory or around the glass factory, but yeah, but there who? was. Yeah, who but, knew? But who? Yeah. And you yeah. give a lot of potential suspects. Um, I do because again, a lot of people died horrible deaths. Yes, again, again, that's what I was thinking earlier. Yeah. I was which, like, man, which, I, I mean, really, you can understand why. Again, yeah, yeah. When you you've got these factories, when you don't have a the, the kind of safety standards we have today, and you're talking about thousands of degree heat and yeah. hole and all kinds of stuff, you know, bad things are going to happen. Yes, and I won't go through all of them again, but I do want to talk about just Marion Queen was probably my worst one that I was thinking of, like falling into that hopper. Oh my finally God, powdered coal. I know. Like you said, and like just the, sinking down into the coal. Yeah, all the way until, until he finally, yeah, at first his hand disappears. It's like quicksand, see? Yeah. Uh, Except it's coal. Now we but should, now I, we all I can picture it. in my head, though, is them getting the bottom off this hopper mm-hmm. and so that they could try to pull him out. Yes, and it's not. This is not funny, I know. but it is. Kind of, it's a yeah. funny image. Enough time has of passed. just seeing his legs mm-hmm. dangling out of this thing. It's like something I mean, you'd see in a sitcom. It's, it's very he's sad, dead. but it's like an episode of I Love Lucy or something. Yeah, you yeah. know, um, if it was you know grapes instead of coal <laughs> right. or something. I don't know, but I just I every time every time I think of this story, I think of that. I think of that image, <laughs> and it's like. Oh my god, it's horrible. You know, Bro, you're so making horrible. great jokes. You're laughing at dead people. You've really taken <laughs> I know. I feel like yeah, I'm just, you're rubbing off on me, I think. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, well, hey, RIP to all these people, but yes, uh, but absolutely. So, but people were seeing they were seeing something around there, and um it's all been it's like you said, it was all torn down and uh, yeah, long, it's all long, gone now. Ago. Yeah, yeah, it's gone. Um, but yeah, still good stories and um Makes me well, and they were, you know, the um, the, the story of the, uh, and this was kind of like a story that I told before mm-hmm. with some new elements, and you know, and adding on the thing about his house, about Sparks's house, and then this was a story that I'd never told before that I ran across this stuff about the ghost of the glassworks almost by chance, mm-hmm. you know, um, going through all those old records, and here I've got a story about the glassworks, and then when I started digging into the glassworks and finding story after story of all these maiming yeah. <laughs> deaths i'm like jesus no wonder there was a ghost so the, you know, the so. ghost of the glasswork sounds like yeah. an encyclopedia brown thing or right like Scooby-Doo it? or yeah. something yeah it does. Um, well hey if anybody has any um if they or their family or whatever have any like old alton specific stuff that was made like send us pictures and stuff. yeah i'd, I'd love, love to see, see some pictures i mean i've seen some and i know that um dave um has some at the soul asylum the museum oh right in the the mineral springs he's got some alton glass stuff in there and every once in a while i'll see it i'll see it pop up you know illinois glassworks but usually it's pretty expensive around here um that's why you always got to look for that kind of stuff out of town because you don't know where it's going to end up oh yeah i mean i find like limp bottles you know in other states Mm -hmm. and they're six or seven dollars but yeah. you know when if you found one around here they definitely are not yeah you know um but so that that stuff's out there you just gotta find it in the right place but anyway he's got some stuff in there if you get a chance the, the hallway going into the museum he's got a lot of Alton stuff yeah so yeah. i gave him some of my bluff city stuff to put on display in there and stuff so yeah it's pretty cool stuff yeah yeah if anybody's so, ever in the mineral uh, mineral springs mall or hotel ch- check it out and, yeah uh, check that out it's really cool that's all i got man okay well, sounds good. So um, I'll throw in, as we you always do with our other podcasts, um, just don't forget to use the podcast promo code when you're buying anything from AmericanHauntings.net or AmericanHauntingsClothing.com. Uh, that gets you 10% off. All you got to do is put it in there, and uh, it does all the work for you. So you're you're making money listening Hand to this podcast. Hand over shirts. Yeah. Right. Book, yeah, over, so. book over shirt or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. anyway, check us out. Um, check out our Alton uh, events that we have coming up. The Alton Hauntings tours will be kicking off for the fall. Uh, those tickets will go on sale in mid-August. 
Uh, we also have the year-round stuff that we do at dinnerandspirits.com. Those are all dinners in Alton and bus tours and dinner tours and things we do. So yeah, check that stuff out too. And uh, hopefully we'll see. I, and I get a lot of people who come to the events, who come to the dinners and the dinner tours and go, oh man, I, yeah, I listen to the podcast all the time. I just That's had somebody awesome. uh, last night was telling me, oh, I just, I just love the podcast. And so yeah, we're always handing out stickers and stuff. I didn't know you had a podcast. Oh yeah. Yeah. Check yeah. It out. Take so, a sticker. Yeah. So it's fun. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. I was pawning off stickers and, and candy and a bunch of stuff to people. Yeah. I was just trying to yep. get them to listen. Just here. Yeah. Be, yeah. Be a Jolly Rancher. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Jolly Rancher. <laughs> I did what I could with. The hey, whatever it takes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, this episode of the American Hauntings podcast was written by Troy Taylor. It was produced and edited by me, Cody Beck. We hope you've enjoyed this return to Alton podcast. And it there you go, you got we'll, it this time. And then I yeah. said, "Fuck up after that." And we'll be with us as we present ten episodes of the history, hauntings, legends, and lore from one of the most haunted small towns in America. Thanks for now listening. We may get to episode ten. Oh and boy, it may be two hours long because okay. there were things I forgot to put in. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just sticking joking. with ten. <laughs> I'm sticking with ten. Well, we have to draw the line somewhere. I know. So. It's, it's <laughs> three is three. So many podcasts. <laughs> Um, uh, okay, well, we couldn't and definitely wouldn't do it oh, without yeah. you. So until yeah. next time, goodbye. So long. See you later. <laughs> All right. Uh, oh, fun. I remember what I was always fun. I know, right? Especially <laughs> since like my brain's kind of like not shot after the first. Well, one, but after like, the we first just, one, yeah, I'm we don't have to think.